0: to you once again for an epic interview chat today we are returning to the sport of fencing a sport we have not talked about in two years since 2021 can you believe it and we are speaking to canadian olympian joseph polisafarkas who competed at the 2016 rio olympics in the discipline of sabre our first ever sabre fencer on the show alana goldie and max von Hauser a couple years ago both oil athletes in the sport of fencing to so our first ever Sabre athlete and as you will hear straight away in this interview I basically get to the nitty-gritty of what the differences are between Sabre, Foil and Epe. I know we sort of discussed this back with Max and Alana a couple of years ago but I had a brief description that you'll hear me get straight into here to clarify if my interpretation of the differences are correct and good explanation that Joe gives us here but Joe has a fantastic story all the way through to how he got to the Rio Olympics discovering the sport at a high school that basically specializes in fencing, how a couple of sliding door moments nearly prevented him from ever getting into the sport and possibly changing his entire career path, the incredible circumstances he overcame to qualify for those Olympics in Rio and how, as he describes it in this interview, 15 years for 15 minutes, basically all of his journey to get to the Olympics and it was done with in 15 minutes the cruelty of sport and it's incredible to hear Joe's story here and we also touch on a few other great things including a very unique career path that he wanted to go into and still might go into there's still hope moving forward potentially for Joe in one aspect in a post-fencing career so sit back relax and listen to our chat with Canadian Olympic fencer Joseph (laughs) Polosifakis It's been a couple of years on the show since we've talked about the great sport of fencing and it is a pleasure to return today to that sport with a man who is an esteemed athlete in the sport, an esteemed resume, five-time Pan Am Games medalist, a Pan Am Fencing Championship gold medalist, a World Junior Championship silver medalist and a 2016 Olympian. And for the first time ever, we actually get to speak to somebody in the discipline of sabre fencing as well. So I'm very excited to learn a little bit more about that. And his career it's a pleasure to welcome to off the podium joseph polisafuckus joe welcome to off the podium it's a pleasure to have you on the show today
1: Thank you. Thanks for the intro, and good uh, good job pronouncing my name on the first try. It's just a little harder. I, I
0: I got to admit, I've practiced a little bit in the last 24 hours, so uh, I may have uh, spent the last like half an hour walking home uh, pronouncing it, making sure it gets out there correctly, yeah. and I'm pretty proud that I got it you out, out it first well. go, too, so uh, thank you. No, uh, you
1: did it well. You did it well. It's uh, it's, it's a tough one for
0: the first time. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, w- we're just on the Sabre aspect of fencing, because we had Alana Goldie and Max von Haster on a, a couple couple years back to talk a little bit about foil fencing, but saber fencing different. Now I, I've looked up the differences. Now I just want to read this out. You tell me if this is accurate. According to fencing love, epay and foil are point weapons. It means you are stabbing your opponent and you poke them with a pointy end, whereas saber is a slashing weapon. So your goal is to make a touch with any part of the blade, not just the tip. Is that the most accurate way of describing the differences between saber, foil and epée?
1: Um, so that's the first step and a, a very different you know s- you know sport compared to the other two obviously but you could make a point with the side and you could attack with a point but yes um the very that's the first differentiating factor between the other two
0: weapons it's always fascinating when I sort of learn about differences between that because I guess we're in a country here in Australia where fencing, let's be honest, really gets no attention at all. Uh, we we obviously have athletes that do compete in the Olympics and and World Championships, but it gets very little to no attention. So most Australians are very unfamiliar with it uh, when it comes to the sport. So I always love learning about those aspects because it is a sport that I love watching during the Olympics. I always love watching these sports that don't get attention. And even in Canada, when obviously we had Alana and Max on a couple of years ago, it is obviously similar. It's a sport that maybe doesn't get the attention of some other ones so on that note i'd love to sort of hear just how you got involved in the sport joe because uh, again not a sport that maybe many canadians sort of it's their first choice instead of maybe a, a hockey stick or some skis or something like that
1: yeah you're definitely right about that so same uh, issue we have here in canada and probably in australia and uh, I was just very lucky and fortunate. I went to this um, sort of all-boys uh, French school in Montreal, which happened to have um, a fencing program that was top class, one of the best in the country. And trying out for that team was actually, you know, like you're trying out for the hockey or basketball team. Everyone wants to try and get there because you're 12 years old going into the school and you see a fencing demonstration. And, you know, I've liked Zorro and Star Wars in the past. And then you see the sport live and you see a bunch of uh, kids hitting each other over the head and getting applauded for it instead of being punished for it, you're Hmm. like, what's the catch here? Like, this is everything I've ever dreamed of as a kid, so everyone went to try out for it. Um, and I got you know I got quite lucky making the team because um, the first step for qualifying was actually it was there were so many people trying out that he had to eliminate some people and it was a two-week trial and uh, the first one was everyone has to run one mile. Uh, and whoever doesn't run a mile they don't even get to try out for the team. So it was an outside race and at the time I was you know a little bit not as uh, not as good at the long distances I was much better at sprinting and um, but I'd never really run a mile and I don't think I would have made it. Uh, so I was very scared for that first trial. And I was thinking about it the whole day. And, you know, what happened was my math class ran a little bit late, like an extra 15 minutes after the the end of class. So I ran out there trying to make it. I was like, oh, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to get cut anyway. Maybe he'll make me run it, you know, alone in front of everyone. It's going to be embarrassing. But, you know, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. And I got there. I saw kids crying on the floor who hadn't completed it, who were already cut. And uh, the coach was coming in. He's like, everyone has to go and sign off for the second part. Whoever made it, we're going to start the first, you know, fencing training ever uh, for, the, for the two-week trial. And he looked at me and he said, you're cut. You missed the training year. you're not going to make the team. And I said, listen, my math class ran late. Can I right now or later or something? I, I promise I'll, I'll confirm that that's what happened. So he said... Okay. I'm going to have to confirm that with you for now. Just come inside. I'm going to make you run it the rest sometime this week and confirm that what you're saying is true. Uh, I'm glad he had a very bad memory uh, because he <laughs> never made me run it for the the, the remaining two weeks, uh, but saw that I had a uh, good skill in fencing and some potential. Uh, so maybe he forgot on purpose, but uh, for me, that was like a miracle. Uh, I, I, I believed it was truly a miracle. And when the final selection of 20 people was made, um, you know, we're about 60 of us that tried out and 20 made it. I told myself this miracle, I can't take it for granted. So I'm going to make sure I I show that I deserve to be on this team. And I'm never going to quit this sport until everyone else, the other 19 people quit before me. And that was always uh, something I had in my head over years. Whenever I had obstacles, injuries, you know, you're getting older and the parties are happening. And, you know, you're 17, 18, when a lot of times people stop, there was still some two, three other kids that were super talented in that group that kept going as well and I told myself I really just can't uh, stop until I am the last one standing and it took me around 13 years uh, to be the last one of that group uh, to to be fencing and uh, actually what kept me going through a lot of uh, tough times and obstacles so very interesting way to stay motivated but you know it worked.
0: (laughs) What an incredible story that's it's almost a real sliding doors moment because imagine if perhaps that teacher didn't say oh no no bad excuse i'm not going to give you a second chance i mean who knows if you might have pursued it from there
1: unreal and you know he was he, he gave me that opportunity to get into this sport and was my coach for the next seven to eight years uh and uh you know i owe him a lot so uh you know sometimes the people are put in your path at certain times in your life uh that uh sort of change the course of your life and the trajectory of your life and i think that was one of them
0: was it a school that specialized in, in Sabre or were the options there to do foil and épée as well? Uh, so,
1: so this was an interesting one as well. So once he made, made the Sabre team, he said, you know, th- the specialty was Sabre, but they had a small épée team. And the coach at one point said, Listen, uh, I'm going to need uh, two people to convert to EPE. And we didn't know what that meant at that time. We just thought that, um, oh, I just will try something else for a week. But whoever actually switched never came back to Sabre. And he said, We're looking for a left handed EPE. and so I'm left handed at Sabre. Uh, so two of us were left handed and lift picked up our hands. And he chose, We uh, just told the other person, Okay, well, you could go try it. And that sort of changed our paths as well from that other student. He ended up going in EPE, and I stayed in Sabre. And that changed my complete life because i don't think i would have been as good at EPE knowing what it takes uh from from different angles of it i think sabre was really where i should be and you know that was another pivotal moment that if i was chosen to go to EPE, i maybe would have stopped the sport after a year or two and just you know realized it didn't have any potential but um i'm very glad that also worked out well
0: yeah it's crazy to think back on those moments that if one thing had it gone differently where, where we could all, all be in life. Did, did you have sort of aspirations as a child, Joe, for, for the Olympics? Was it something that you sort of paid a lot of attention to as a child?
1: So, I was exposed to it quickly, uh, just the possibility of it or uh, because as soon as I joined at 12, there there was one. So, that club had been in operations for like 20 years, uh, 20, 25 years at the time. Maybe it would have been 20. And um there was someone who was 14 years older than me, he was 26, who was training to try and make an Olympics in Athens, and that would have been the first ever athlete from this school to have a chance to make the Olympics, and it had been, you know, years and years of development and training, and my coach had started the club for nothing, and, you know, 20, 25 years later, you had a student that sort of get out of the pack and Made made that option a possibility, and so we sort of followed him along when I just started, right at twelve years old. I just thought, wow, this guy's here and he's trying to make the Olympics. That's unbelievable. But also, you see, like that's something that is a possibility. And he ended up qualifying for Athens, uh, the Athens Olympics uh, in two thousand four. When I was I was around fourteen at the time, um, and that was a really big inspirational moment. But I never really thought, like, oh, I'm I'm going to be that. I was really you know, I think that the key was that to have that as a goal long-term is important, but focus on, you know, I want to be provincial champion. I want to be national. I want to make the national team. Like, and it was all these small goals that fueled me to not make it feel so impossible that I can make the Olympics, right? And when the Olympics come around is because you've done the national team, senior team, and you've done Pan Am Games, and you've done these games, and you've done medals here, and you're like, okay, well, this could be the next logical step now. It's not so far off just a dream, but you always have it in the back of your mind. You know, you're sort of he could carrying you towards there, but the smaller goals in the way are really important to have uh, as a stepping stones.
0: What was that like as a high school then being able to, to watch him at the Olympics? Because I can imagine you all sort of band together, watch it. I'm not sure sort of what the time difference would have been when he was competing. Because it would obviously touch on the reaction to you when you made the Olympics sort of in the Greek community there in Montreal. But, you know, what was right. that like for the high school?
1: Yeah, I, it was it was unreal. I mean, nobody had ever been there from from the, the the team, and because it was in Athens, you know, I had actually been myself in Greece before the Olympics, and that's when Greece won the Euro two thousand ah, yes. and four, and that was a huge pandemonium. Everyone was so excited for the Olympics, and you know, I have a Greek background on both sides of my parents, so I had a very big attachment to to Greece at the time when I was there, and all the all the, you know, all the stuff going on was, uh, was unbelievable. So the energy was crazy. Uh, and I loved, uh, I loved that, you know, someone from our school was representing us at the time in, in Greece uh, which was funny and sort of a, a moment like, oh wow, like I would, I would really love to be there one day, <laughs> you
0: know. There are great games too, very, uh, very memorable Olympics there, there in Athens. Obviously, was going to touch on your yeah. Olympic experience and sort of the, the incredible uh, odds that you overcome for that very shortly. But just before we get to that, you mentioned making the national team. You did that in two thousand and nine, and sort of in that period from there, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, part of a team that won the Junior World Championships in twenty ten, and the Pan Am Games in. 2011 now we've just covered our first pan am games here and off the podium a, a lot of fun that uh, you know we we definitely loved covering those but sort of in that period when you go from making a national team world junior championship silver medal then you go to a pan am games come home with a few more medals i mean how are you feeling at that point your you're progressing the ladder pretty quickly there and was was london and ever a possibility kind of at, at that point during that quick little period in those three years
1: yeah, those three years were, uh, I sort of exponentially increased my level. Uh, you know, I was starting off a little bit, you know, at 18. Um, we, I was moving out of my high school in CGIP and going to university. And there was a new coach that came in that we got from Russia to come and train four guys in the national team to try and make the Olympics in London as a team. Uh, and I progressed really, really quickly between those teams. And, you know, not only did we win second, uh, at the junior world championships it all the first and uh, best ever results still to date at a junior world championships for a team event and saber. Um, but I also finished top eight, uh, at the age of 19 at a senior grand prix, which had never been done. Uh, and it still has never really been done since. Um, and you know, at the time senior is 19 and over, I was still a junior and from Canada, that had never really been done at that level. So I was progressing very well. Then you know, Pan Am Games as well had uh, two medals, and I you know had a had a really good run. Um, but as a team, we we weren't able to beat um, the Americans uh, in the continent because they were strong. They were coming off a second place in the world senior, uh, second place Olympics finish uh, at the Olympics right before us in Beijing, and uh, they had a really strong team. And you know, we were still getting there. We had young guys on the team and one a little bit more of a veteran. Uh, But, you know, the plan was to have a seven-year cycle with this Russian coach to get to uh, qualify as a team, hopefully well for Rio. Um, But, you know, we didn't end up making it for London, unfortunately. And, you know, the funding got cut. The coach had to leave. Uh, We lost the funding, you know, support. uh, And uh, sort of everything sort of crumbled uh, after 2012 in terms of structure and, and support. So that was a very big blow because I was going really, all in for London and, you know, uh, doing part-time school and university and training two times a day, six days a week, try, flying out to training camps all around the world, world cups, leaving for six weeks at a time, you know, having to catch up with schoolwork and keeping that. And that was really a, a really intense period. Um, so it was a very disappointing, uh, time for me not making London. Uh, and it was, uh, a big blow, uh, which took me some time to re- to recover from.
0: Which, I mean, when we get to what happened with Rio, I mean, it just, it, your journey yeah. to even get to one Olympics just sounds absolutely incredible. Just, yeah. just quickly on the Pan Ams, though. I mean, obviously through your career, you went to, to three, a total of five medals. Just where do the Pan Am sort of stack up to you personally as as an athlete? Because, you know, somewhere from Australia, we, we look at something like the Commonwealth Games as kind of like the the tier below the Olympics. And, and I've always loved watching the Commonwealth Games and, and admired those sort of as a as an event outside the Olympics. But is that similar for say yourself and, and Canadians that you look at a, a Pan Am game? Cause obviously we don't have fencing at the Commonwealth game. So that's not something that unfortunately you can, you can go yeah. to.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the highest level that we could get to before going to the Olympics. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an incredible, incredible environment that really mimics the Olympics of having people from all sorts of different countries at the senior level and having the, the you know, the crowd and the way, the competition is is formatted, um, you know, just the, the the the, you know, the atmosphere is very similar. Obviously, it's less; it's a little smaller, but there's still thousands of athletes from all the Americas, and you know, beating the USA is always very important uh, because we want to you know have that um, you know that confidence to to go into the the qualification periods and and, and such to to have that confidence. So uh, every time you get on a podium at a Pan am Games, it's something very special and. The one in 2015 was particularly special because it was in Canada and Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and, and at that time, uh, you know, and maybe we'll get into it, but I'd come off a very terrible year. Uh, so from the lowest to lowest to come on the podium there in front of friends and family for the first time, because usually you're always in a you know uh, enemy state or somewhere not Canada when you win, you know, big medals. So to have the family there and be on the podium and really give me that boost for the next uh, month leading up to the Rio qualification it's still one of the best memories of my life and you know Toronto 2015 felt like an olympics at home there was so much uh, resources put into it and, and attention to the you know to all the athletes and the gear we received and the you know the uh, just the hospitality from people on the streets from in Canada and Toronto and uh still one of the, my best memories uh, to date of my fencing career was the Pan Am Games 2015.
0: Well, it's a perfect segue, Joe, into what happened before Rio because it's it's fascinating to read your story. And I, I don't really want to give much away. I want you to tell it because it's, it starts with a boxing match, doesn't it? It doesn't even start with fencing. <laughs> T- tell us about what happened in, uh, a, in a boxing match in uh, 2014.
1: Yeah, so it was supposed to be a cross-training uh, activity, uh, that we were doing in 2014. So I had just graduated from university after five years. I was like, okay, I'm going to take some time off for two years and try and make. Uh, you know, I, I had still been training, but I was also going to school. And then I was like, okay, now I have a, a full two years to get try and make Rio. Uh, I, you know, and, and really focus, double down again. I think I I could make this. I didn't make London. It was a disappointment, but I, I really want to try another another run. And that was going to be my last. You know hurrah trying to make it all in and as soon as i graduated i was going full-time and i was preparing for the world championships and uh uh, for the world fencing championships in russia and uh, i uh, you know, one of the training sessions, we were training next, our facilities next to a boxing facility, uh, like connected to each other. You, you didn't even have to go outside. It was like right next to us. And our coach wanted us to do a little bit of cross training, you know, took the reflexes, a little bit of, you know, different type of training that's sort of still similar, but, you know, just challenges you in a little bit differently. But it was just very badly organized by the person giving it and he sort of put us in the ring with each other at the end of like one training and just had these gloves on and just put, you know, two fencers randomly in the ring for like two minutes just to get the feel of, you know, what a, a sort of sparring is. And I felt a little bit weird about it. And he's like, Oh, you don't really need headgear either. And, and I was, just, these, these are big gloves, but you know, he had told me it was someone who was, you know, probably a bit heavier, a little, you know, bulkier and was sort of just swinging wildly. And we obviously, cause you don't really know what you're doing. And I was swinging wildly too. And, you know, I just got hit across the head and he was, he was a strong guy. Um, but i got hit across the head and just immediately felt a little off and I had a headache uh that just wasn't going away so um I, I i took the time off i went to see a special a doctor immediately and he said you know take a couple of days but what ended up happening was that this saga turned into uh eight months of inactivity wow. um so instead you know i missed the world championships i lost my funding because to get any funding in canada you have to be top 32 in the world so i by not going to the world championships I didn't wasn't able to get any points, uh, and instead of being able to you know train every day and travel the world and compete and try and make the you know all the qualifications, uh, I was seeing specialists three times a week. Uh, I was in bed most of the time. I you know I couldn't I couldn't work out. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't really drive. Um, you know it was kind of like the, still the worst period of my life by far, uh, where it's, it's a tough one to get over because people don't really see what's wrong with you, but you feel completely different. And I couldn't be in a room with more than like four people. The noise would bother me. So, you know, really, I couldn't do much except wallow in my bed and think about, wow, what, what's going on. And, you know, after certain point, you don't even, you know, you forget about even about fencing and the Olympics. You're just like, I want to go back to being a normal human and being able to do my normal activities of like going out to a restaurant with friends or, going to do a basic workout or, you know, being able to watch TV or my, so what, look at my phone for more than like five minutes without getting a headache. And, you know, th- those were really the tough moments that uh, really challenged me. And the, the difficulty is it's an injury where nobody can really tell you a timeline of, you know, where you're coming out of it. So I was seeing a kinesiologist, uh, an eye vestibular uh, type of specialist was helping me, then a special concussion doctor. And, you know, I was trying to get, you know, all the the elements that I could to try and get there faster. Uh, but I had, you know, times where I felt better, and I I tried to come back, and it actually relapsed to way worse. So even when I thought I was doing okay, I actually set myself back a couple of times. So that was definitely a huge, huge hit to me. That um, when I got back after that, which was a crazy ordeal, and now you know feels like a distant memory, but at the time was like like I said, worst time in my life. I was just so grateful that I could even put on my fencing gear and step on a fencing strip again. Like I didn't even care about results or qualifying anymore. I just, just like, for me, it was a privilege to be able to do that again. And you kind of refell in love with the process and the sport and, you know, just what I was able to do that was very rare and unique. And I wasn't really thinking about the results anymore. And that's sort of what helped me actually get the results I needed at the last minute to qualify, uh, for Rio. Uh, and that's kind of a, an interesting lesson I learned um throughout this process as well
0: because it it was very last minute too because from there you had other setbacks didn't you too there, there was a a back injury a, an ankle injury there was a tumor in your leg so there was even more sort of added to that to kind of really make it very last minute yeah
1: yeah so i came back and i was you know i was trying to get a little quicker in the gym and, and do that better and then uh, you know, with fencing in the gym, and I, I, I had a little bit of a back injury, which was a herniated disc, which I had in the past, but it sort of came back because I was, I came back, you know, from eight months of inactivity, trying to get back into it quickly, and sort of had to push it a little bit, and it actually made it worse. So I got a herniated disc, which you know I was feeling down my leg. I couldn't tie my shoes. I couldn't sit down properly. So in order to counter that, I was taking some anti-inflammatories, which I took too many of, uh, and then created an ulcer in my stomach, which I couldn't eat. Uh, and that was all during the, the qualification process and, you know, trying to come back from that, I was recovering from that, doing some competitions, getting the results I needed like a minimum. And then I, you know, at one of the big competitions, I tore my ankle, uh, to the second degree in one of the matches, uh, which was a huge setback, but I was able to sort of work around that, uh, you know, iced it, taped it up really (laughs) solidly and ended up doing, uh, one of my best results, again, the top eight at the Grand Prix in Moscow uh, with a torn ankle, uh, which was a huge boost for my qualification and actually came with, not only was I, you know, I was very happy to be back, as a, obviously for the concussion, but I got this injury too and like, really results for me at that point were just so secondary. I was just like, yeah. man, I can't believe this is happening. I'll just do what I can. So I just limited my options, stayed very, just very relaxed, focused, and I was like, I can't do much, but I could do this, this, and this maximize that and it actually ended up working very well uh, to get that really good result in Moscow. So the second or third time I had done a top eight in a Grand Prix and still, you know, the only one that has done that, uh, in a while. So, um, that is, uh, that was a crazy moment, which led after the Pan Am Games in Toronto where I came second and then another, uh, world championships. when I came in the top to 25 in the world and that sort of solidified some of my spot to, to get to, uh, to Rio, uh, by the end of the qualification period, which was kind of insane, when you're thinking about it,
0: <laughs> after master. what it came through. Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like when yeah. you arrived on that, uh, the mat in Rio that you're held together by tape. I mean, <laughs> sort oh of basically yeah, that's it was, what it sounds like. <laughs> the,
1: the 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 moment between when I qualified and I got to the Olympics in Rio, I was so careful. Like yeah. I didn't want any more injuries. I didn't want any, I wanted to make it to the Olympics. So I was being so careful of, Everything I was doing, I was so, like, tentative. I don't want any other injuries. I need to make it to that, to the Olympics, you know, and and make it in one piece. Uh, so, that was that was such a stressful time leading up to the Games. I was just like, okay, you qualified. This was incredible. But, like, you got to make it there to the Games now, right? And you don't want any more of these setbacks. And, you know, there's a lot of competitions that happen between the qualification and the Games. So, you have to be very careful.
0: Did you have a moment then when you were at Rio, be it just before your bout, opening ceremony village moment where it, it kind of just hit you that everything that you overcame and that, that you'd done it, that you were there, you were an Olympian.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really the opening ceremony. that was, uh, like that was, that hit me, uh, so hard to know my family was in the, in the, in the crowd too. And to know that, you know, they knew everything I went through and they were in the crowd. And when I walked out with other Olympians from Canada, um, who, you know what, when you get to the Olympics. Uh, you hear stories like this are like almost a dime a dozen of uh, athletes who overcame near death experiences, broken this, broken that. And you realize that making it, the games is, you know, those who just keep going and keep going uh, despite anything that would make someone just like, be like, why am I doing this? Right. And uh, you, you see so many people crying at opening ceremonies because of the struggle it took to get there. You know, nobody, nobody gets there super easily and just like, Oh, this is great. You know, it's like they get there and they know what it takes to get there. And everyone is sort of humbled, uh, and just proud to be there. Um, and I think that's what, you know, makes, you know, Olympians, uh, very, you know, approachable in a way because you know, sport does humble you no matter what, how good you are you're going to have moments where it's going to break you down and, you know, test what you're made of. And you can't really avoid it because it's win, lose, injury, no injury. Like, you know, you made it or you didn't. There's no circumventing that in sport. And, you know, when, when you're able to get yourself back up and go back, you you really keeps your ego in check. And you're like, I have to put in the work. I have to do this. I have to do that. And n- nobody takes anything for granted. So I think it's, it's everyone there is... Uh, just so so grateful to be there. Uh, so that moment really hit me. That opening ceremony, I'll never forget that.
0: Love hearing that. And that's why we love hearing the stories here on the show because it it is always about that journey, isn't it? You know, we can talk here about the, yeah. the gold medalists, the, the the great stories and everything, but sometimes just qualifying and being there is is a, is a gold medal in itself. Which I mean, the event itself. Uh, I mean, it's the, all that build up, all that everything you've overcome. And then the cruelty of sports sometimes, of course, is that all of that can be over in 15 minutes, which uh, un- unfortunately for you, Joe, it was. I mean, sort of it's been seven years since Rio, but I mean, how do you sort of reflect on that bout and kind of that, that one match? Because again, it's it's fascinating to kind of unpack everything you just talked about for a 15 minute moment that kind of then it's done with, which again, as I said, cruelty <laughs> of sports sometimes.
1: Yeah, you know, the nature of the fencing competition in Rio or at any Olympics is very brutal. It's, you know, there's, you know, usually at a World Cup, we're around 220 with, you know, round robins and eliminations. And, you know, this Olympics is, you know, there's the top, like, let's say 30 in the world that show up. And then it becomes like a Mortal combat. you know, number one mm-hmm. against 32 against 29. At the time I was, I think I was around 26 in the world and I was against number six in the world. And if you don't beat him, you lose. If you beat him, you keep going. So, uh, you know, there was a little bit of, I think some, you know, for me, some questionable calls, but you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, you still lose. Uh, and I, it's something I learned from my first run at the the games where, you know, the results at the end of the day, you know, you can't base your whole experience on, you know, did I win or lose that match? It, 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 that's what determines my success or not. It's, it's everything you learned on the way to get to that, position that you keep with you, regardless if you win or lose. Right. And, you know, a lot of the people talk about the journey and the process more than the goal. And I a hundred percent agree, because if you're just there to get that result and you don't get it, and that's what you base your whole self-worth on you're you sort of leave behind everything you're actually supposed to get from sport, which is all the learnings of perseverance, hard work, passion, determination, uh, you know, self-respect, integrity, and, and all those things that you have to cultivate over so many years to get to that level that keeps that is really what makes you the person you are and not really, if you win or lose on that day. Right. And, um, it's, uh, it's something that took some time, uh, to assess, but, uh, definitely became much more, um, much more easy to digest a loss like that. Uh, later on, when, when you think of it in the moment, it's terrible. I had, I went through all the emotions, uh, you know, you think I can't believe 15 years or 15 minutes. I used to tell myself, I was like, that's crazy. But you know, in those 15 years you've developed friendships with people around the world. you, you know, like I said, overcome every sorts of obstacle. You've traveled the world. You've met people from all sorts of cultures. You've trained uh, with the best in the world. You have coaches and people around you have supported you, your family. And, you know, those moments you'll never, you'll never, you know, be able to lose those. You can't replace those. And that's what makes you who you are at the end of it. It's not that actual result or the medals. So, uh, that's something. It takes some time and perspective to get to that, though.
0: And, and two things. <laughs> that, two things I take away from it too. You say you go in as a 26th in the world. You finish 23rd at the Olympics, so technically you you improved your rankings there. And also, yeah. the guy who beat yeah. you then in the next round gets beaten by the eventual gold medalist. So it took yeah. the best in the world yeah. to beat the guy who beat you. So technically, you're on that path to exactly. that.
1: So there was a it was a tough it was a tough path in Rio. I mean, there's there, there's no. There's no easy path at the olympics for fencing especially it's just the best of the best and uh yeah he was number six or seven in the world which uh he's no pushover uh but yeah then he fenced the number one in the world and you know that, that guy was uh, was on fire and that guy who actually won is has won three consecutive Olympics. Finn Steuber, which is uh, the record, un, record unheard of. He's probably one of the best of all time in the sport, uh, uh, the GOAT as they call him. He's from Hungary, so it was. Can it you was say a his name for me? For I sure. was,
0: I was going to try and pronounce it, but I I, I, I peaked with saying your last answer. Was that Aron? Uh, how do I say that? It's, there you go all right thank you yeah i I was gonna try and say but i knew i'd already peaked at my pronunciation for this episode but uh yeah yeah. i mean and and it must be to i mean for any athlete who is going up against somebody who is considered the goat like i mean you're in that same air you're in that same competitive space i mean what is it like to be around someone like that that as you say in the history books will go down as maybe the best fencer of all time
1: yeah it, i mean i i trained with him uh, in hungary uh, at their club and you know he's actually my age which so we sort of grew up in the same ranks at uh, the junior level uh and uh you know I, I fenced him maybe once in competition but usually a lot in practice uh and in training camps and yeah he's he's a special special guy uh and you, you look at things that he could do and you're like wow this is you know you see that level um but uh he's also a good person so he's very very a very good representative of the sport. Uh, but, but those are the people that you look at and you try to get better, right? That That's what you're supposed to take away from that is, you know, there's things he can do that others can't find, but there's also things that he does that everyone could, you know, could do and he does, he just works hard at it and harder. And so when you have the talent plus the work ethic, um, you could get very far and everybody at the level that goes to the Olympics has that talent. Uh, there's different, you know, there are different levels, different, you know, they started earlier whatever, but everyone has that talent and that hard work. So there's, there's a lot of elements that go into play, but, um, it was always inspiring to see people like that, um, because it makes you want to get better. So I think that's, that's how you should take it, uh, instead of being like, oh man, he's so good. I'll never be his level. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I definitely understand. Now, Joe, uh, just a couple more before we, we close it out. Um, just in terms of Tokyo, uh, can you sort of briefly explain what, what, I, did read that you were planning sort of going sort of what happened in in that in that lead up and and where are you at now are you is, it, is the sword hung up I mean is Paris an option I mean kind of where are we at right now in your career? Yes,
1: yeah, so I, uh, I I took a break after Rio for a couple of years. Uh, it started to work a little bit, uh, and uh, I I had an itch to make a return, but I did not make uh, you know a return fully of uh, just competing. I was also I had a role. I had a job while trying to compete and try to make a flexible arrangement and a schedule. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a great time, great learnings of this was a whole other world of working and trying to compete at the same time. Um, you know, when you leave work, even if you have a flexible schedule, there's things you have and things you owe and responsibilities that you're sort of missing on. And then when you're at work, you're like, man, I could be training more. And you, you know, you still have to find a way to balance both, but at the end you're burning uh, the candle on both edges as they say. So <clears throat> suffered some injuries as well, because, you know, like I said, it's, it's an intense sport. And if, you know, you don't work on all the different, you know, overcompensations or, you know, it's very one-sided. You have a lot of old things that tweak up, uh, you know, I tore, tore my labrum uh, during that phase, but I, I was doing pretty well in, in the qualifications and, it, you know, once again, I ended up in, I finished third at the Pan American championships. I finished in top 32 at a couple of Grand prix and, and World Cups and, you know, finished the season actually in the top 32 in the world uh leading up to the games uh but you know there was um uh th- the way you qualify is it was only going to take uh either one team or one person from the continent so the continent is the america so from canada to argentina they take one team and the usa was better than us uh at the time uh so they were going to ones going as the team and then there was going to be one more person from the continent and it so happens that I was second uh, ranked second. And the, the, the guy ranked first was actually someone from Canada, um, who did a good result at the world championships. Uh, he was a teammate of mine and the world championships counts for three times the points, which give him so many points ahead. Uh, and he ended up going, which was, was great for him. But it's not as if you like fight in Canada to be the, the number one guy from Canada. It's a world ranking that they take, right? So if you never, uh, you could never fight each other or fight each other. And uh, it doesn't matter. It's it's about the world ranking. So if you have a really good result at a place that counts for triple points, that's going to be hard to to overcompensate. So at the end of the run, at the end of that, you know, COVID also hit. Yeah. So we took a year off before we came back to the qualification. So that changed a little bit of my dynamics. And what I was focusing, I was working during COVID uh, from home. And when things came back, there was maybe one or two competitions left. And I just decided that I was too far away from the points. and. That was uh that was it for the the final qualification for tokyo so finished second uh and only take one unfortunately
0: and and no Paris, but, you no know Paris proud on learning. the agenda
1: uh, that's it no so I, I i i took a little break from that uh and moved uh, i moved to calgary now from montreal uh, and working actually in in sponsorship and brand marketing uh so i'm working with uh team canada and olympics but on the other side as uh, as a sponsor now so as a sponsoring company so i'm uh, still involved in the olympic movement i do a little bit of coaching here in calgary from time to time for some kids but it's uh i i'm not really fencing actively <laughs> anymore
0: i was going to just touch on that quickly because uh, yeah the the work you do with the the canadian olympic committee and the athletes commission can you give us a sort of a brief overview of what that is you actually we do with the olympic committee
1: yes yeah, so i'm also on the athletes commission and that's a separate thing where i um there's around 11 you know 12 um depending on the year sometimes 13 olympians uh, on a committee that uh, is voted for, uh, and we represent the voice of Olympians and athletes to the board of the Canadian Olympic Committee. So anytime the Canadian Olympic Committee wants to implement some policies or new rules or wants to go in different directions, they sort of come to see the Athletes Commission and say, what are the athletes, what's the athlete's perspective on this? How can this inform our policies better? How can we, you know, is this something that makes sense that doesn't make sense? What are they looking for? So I, th- I think it's a really good and important way to have an impact uh, in a different way from the people who make a lot of policies and decisions and how olympians you know are are treated at the olympics and things that could affect them uh, and how you know all sorts of different um, avenues so i think that being on the commission helps me still have an impact in a different way in a more in a broad scope uh, that could really help more than just you know either one athlete It could help athletes from a broad swash of winter summer sports and could have an impact that way so i'm really really happy to be on that and 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 stay in the movement, but from a, another perspective where you could be in it longer than just do long-term and have a longer-term impact for athletes in the future.
0: Fantastic. Great way to sort of give back after after your career. Now, usually at this point, Joe, we, we would close out with a set of fun questions, but I, uh, the reason I'm not going to do that, because we're about to run out of time, I've got two quick questions to ask you, but also you answered already these questions. So we base these off a team Canada questionnaire that they gave you ahead of the Rio Olympics. And you're one of the athletes featured on Olympic.ca. So what we'll do, (laughs) we'll, we'll link, we'll link people from this episode to see what you answered back in 2016, uh, including drawings, including drawings, Joe. So uh, I'll I'll put that up. But the the, the two ones I just want to quickly close out on you delved into the world of podcasting for a little bit. You hosted a podcast called the Olympians podium for for a while um tell us about that how did you find it and is it going to come back uh, i mean uh, i see it's sort of been dormant for a couple of years but uh, obviously it, it seemed yeah. like you enjoyed it
1: yeah so it's it's still you can still find it on spotify i had it on apple and i did around um i, I actually recorded like 14 episodes but only published around eight uh so what happened was that I, at the time i started doing it i wanted to after the olympics i I thought, you know, I had so many great Olympian stories and, you know, when you're talking between Olympians, it's just a very different dynamic and, you know, it's not like a typical reporter. So I sat down with different Olympians uh, from Canada and even abroad from a German Olympian, a good friend of mine. And eventually that was the goal I wanted to do was talk to Olympians from all over the world um, and talk about, you know, different experiences. And it was called the Olympians podium. I did it for a year. The, the, The difficulty for me was... Uh, just the timing, the time it took to be a one-man show, and you must know what it takes—the editing yeah, so, yes. and uh, timing—and <laughs> you know, I had I was started into work environment, and then I was gonna go back into fencing and working, and it was so hard to just I, you know to try and keep that same quality up. And I said I would just put it on pause and start it again another time because I, I definitely like podcasting and I think it's uh, something I like to do. So like hats off to you for all the work you've been doing and, and being consistent on it because it's, it's very hard. It takes a lot of time and it's a lot of people think it's just, you get on the mic and, and chat, but there's a lot behind the scenes. Right. And very I definitely so. know what, what it is. That's I definitely know what it is. Isn't you know. it Joe? Once you
0: do it, you're like, you get that taste, and you, you know, like you I just know. want to keep it's doing amazing. it. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely have been thinking of, uh, of having a, a relaunch and doing it with more modern technologies because when I was doing it, I was just going to people with my, with my, Mike, I had two mics, and we would sit in their room or wherever they are. But I think now with technology like this, it's so much easier to yeah. get in touch and, and 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 package the the goods. I was learning how to work with like GarageBand on Apple and, and working on that. But uh, I think there's a lot of better ways now to do it than when I was doing it a couple of years ago. Um, but it's still a passion of mine. It's talking to people, learning from them about all sorts of things. And, uh, it's something that naturally I like to do. So I definitely get inspired when I get back on the podcast and see like the great stuff you guys are doing.
0: You're, you're welcome. Take it and, and come back to the dark side. The one thing I want to close out on though, yeah. I love reading this on your bio on the Olympic.ca website. You're a huge movie buff who had childhood dreams of being a Hollywood actor. Please, <laughs> please tell me you pursued yeah. this at some point. Did you do much acting as a kid? I,
1: I, I did, I tried, I was in one play in elementary school, uh, and then after after Rio, I did take a couple of acting classes in Toronto. Oh, wow. Uh, but, I, yeah, just to check it out. And then I did some improv there, too. I was doing a little bit of improv, um, but I didn't pursue it fully to become the Hollywood actor, uh, unfortunately. Yes, yes. But it, but yet I think it's not too late I could uh, start playing for older roles the, now. Hey. Uh, the childhood dream there's right? so
0: much going on right now in Hollywood I mean now that the strikes you, are over there's streaming there's so many things you can get I mean YouTube shorts all these sort of things you've got plenty
1: I know so you know podcasting and acting could be my fallback right now that's hey. uh, what I just
0: think should get back into that works uh, what's your favorite film like uh, being a movie buff what's, what's your, your number one <laughs>
1: This is a funny one, and people might laugh, but I definitely think it's it's the one I've watched the most and quote the most and love. It's uh, Dumb and Dumber, actually. Oh, it's my, yes, my favorite comedy. Oh. my favorite comedy. I think one of the I think it's a genius movie that I have watched the most of any movie, and I think that's a really good for because I don't usually like rewatching movies, but every scene still gets me in that movie, and 100%. I think it was just. Be a, an amazing, amazing comedy, which uh, always makes me happy. So that's definitely on number one on my list.
0: There, There is a t-shirt that keeps popping up on my Instagram feed on one of these sort of like culture websites where it's literally a shirt and it says like, Slippy, Slappy, Swanson, Swanson, Samsonite! I was way <laughs> yes. off! Yes. Like, I, I yes. need to get that, shirt. We should get that shirt and wear it out proud. Let's go. <laughs> There's so many,
1: so many good lines in that and I encourage everyone to watch it again with an open mind and uh. just let yourself, you know, be taken by the great dialogue. But I, I love
0: that movie what a a movie love it Joe this has been an absolute pleasure mate to to hear your story and everything along those lines so people who maybe want to stay up to date with your journey and what's going on social media where can people follow you and find out more
1: yeah, so I'm on all the platforms. I'm on. Uh, I mean, actually, no, I'm not on TikTok or Snapchat. I, 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 I didn't join that dark side yet. But uh, Instagram, X, uh, Facebook, uh, just my long name. You'll find it. I'm, I'm one of a kind, so there's not too many of Joseph's Fakis. So follow me and uh, see the interesting things I'm, I'm up to these days.
0: Well, we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on things, Joe. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to learn more about your uh, story and your journey, and good luck with everything. Moving forward, and uh, good luck in the Hollywood acting career as well. We look forward to seeing you on our screens. Thank soon. you. I'm
1: g- going to try and relaunch all these uh, these initiatives again. Thank you. You inspired me. Appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad we made it work after a lot of back and forth, but we we made it.
0: And a massive, massive thanks to Joe for his time. As always, if you want to see the video version of that interview, it is now available on our YouTube channel as well. And it's just an incredible story of overcoming so many things to get there, to to getting a concussion in a sport, which isn't even your sport. It's sort of a training exercise right through to discovering a whole bunch of other injuries. And then it's all done with in 15 minutes. Can you believe that? Just uh, amazing, but great to hear from Joe there and just what it took to overcome all of that. And then how we sort of reacts to everything after all these years and the great work that he still continues to do with the Olympic movement and everything moving forward. And definitely look forward to seeing him on our screens. Hollywood, here we come for Joe. So uh, I definitely think that is in the cards of him in the future. So once again, a big thanks to Joe for his time on Off the Podium today. We've only got a couple more weeks left of 2023. Next week, join us. We will be continuing our our opening ceremony review series. Both Colin and Jared will be back on the show with me. We're going back to 1984, Sarajevo, the Winter Olympics. We are going to be watching that opening ceremony and giving our take on it. I'll be honest, this is an opening ceremony I have never seen. I have never seen any of this opening ceremony in my life. So I am very much looking forward to seeing how this one goes down. And we're fans of the mascot. So that's a positive. So hopefully we can get a mascot appearance at that opening ceremony. But we will see how we go. Speaking of mascots, of course, uh, by now you would have seen our great mascot, Cherry, has been released. Get on board the Cherry train. We're so glad that we've, uh, after all months of teasing, finally got little Cherry out there for the world. We've got some plans with Cherry. So obviously right now we've just released a photo. Uh, Jared, Colin and myself got a couple of plushies made up for ourselves. But moving forward, we're hoping to maybe do some Cherry pins or some other Cherry plush toys. So if you like what you saw with Cherry and you want to get on board the Cherry train, let us know. And as I said, perhaps we will uh, we will put something out there for you to uh, own a piece of Cherry, maybe, to put out there and adorn your rooms and everything along those lines but after our sarajevo opening ceremony review a couple more interviews to close the year we've got a winter athlete coming your way uh, an athlete who has just achieved a very good result in the world of slalom skiing for australia and i'm very excited to bring a chat with her to the fray and you remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke to Stacey heimer about taekwondo Well, we've got another taekwondo athlete to come on the show. Somebody who is a real chance of a medal next year in Paris to break Australia's drought, 24-year drought, that you would have heard us talk about with Stacey a couple of weeks ago in the sport of taekwondo. So you will hear that in the coming weeks. And then as we enter 2024, as I keep teasing, big, 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 big year, 2024. It's an Olympic year. So it's going to be massive. We've got plenty to come your way in the lead-up to Paris, of course, in July. But before we even get to Paris... The one thing that we need to talk about are the Youth Olympics. Gangwon in Korea is hosting the Winter Youth Olympics and they're in January. They're in the middle of January. They run through to the middle of February and we will be covering our first ever Youth Olympics. We'll be doing that weekly, just like we did with the Pan Am Games. So I'm very excited that we're doing our first ever Youth Olympics on this show. So stay tuned for that. We've got some great stuff to cover for the Youth Olympics and that will be coming your way in just about a month's time, believe it or not. So uh, crazy to think that's where we are at. Do all the usual things, like, subscribe, all the podcast platforms, wherever you do listen. As I said, YouTube as well, we're available on there. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on all those channels. And we have got some very big things coming your way in 2024. I keep teasing this, but we're expanding, We're we're doing some new things and we think you're going to like it. So stay tuned as we keep pushing forward to a very big year for not only off the podium, but the Olympics. That's why you're here. You love Off the Podium because you like the Olympics. So you know 2024 is going to be a massive, massive, massive year. So get pumped and excited for the Olympic Games and everything that is coming your way in 2024. Big thanks again to Joe. And by all means, we will tag his My Name Is article from Team Canada. We usually obviously like to kind of go over those when we've got somebody on the show who's done that before, but, uh, unfortunately ran out of time there, but uh, I can just give you a bit of a teaser here, actually, just before I go. Uh, so his favorite Olympic moment, uh, St. Bolt winning in 2008, he would choose Toronto as an Olympic host city. He loves watching UFC, um his favorite sandwich grilled chicken uh and his favorite sports movie the mighty ducks so i thought he was going to maybe go with that when he said dumb and dumber there because i knew that answer was the mighty ducks but we'll we'll take that good movie choices there from joe but we'll we'll tag that in the show notes for this if you want to see his full Answers on his My Name is Back from 2016. Thanks for listening. My name is Ben. Remember to do all the usual. Hi to the Birmingham Bull. Hi to Jason Momoa. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. Put a sock in the mountain. And remember to, as always, go left. <laughs>